came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable, John Katsimatidis. Here's Sunday morning. One great show. We have Congressman Peter King, Governor David Patterson. We have Bob Hoogan, GOP chair in New Jersey. A lot of seats are up. Which way is New Jersey going? We have Stephen Cates, and what do we see up in the skies? Suzanne Miller, what's going on in real estate in New York? And things are starting to get tough. Eric Schuffler, two weeks to Halloween, and he's got a, a big thing going on in uh, Staten Island at the stadium. And an exclusive, Melissa DeRosa, most powerful woman in Albany for a long time, has a new book out, and she's going to tell it all in the new book. And let's start off with Michael Stoller on a real estate report in New York. Good morning. This is Mike Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I have a very interesting individual who knows about something called Arverne by the Sea and the Rockways. His name is Jerry Romsky. He's the Senior Project Executive and General Counsel of Arverne by the Sea, a large-scale urban redevelopment site comprising 120 acres on the Rockway Peninsula. So, Jerry, it's been a long time for Auburn on the sea and the Rockaways. Tell, tell me what's going on now and what happened over the last 20 years. Sure, and good morning, Michael, and thank you very much for having me here today. Well, Auburn by the Sea started over 20 years or so ago when the Benjamin Beachwood development team was selected by the city of New York to redevelop the Auburn by the Sea urban redevelopment area which, as you mentioned, is 120 or so acres uh, right on the water in, in Auburn, New York. Between, okay, where does it span from? Between Beach 62nd Street and Beach 81st Street. So it's a little over uh, 20-something blocks. And how much has been redeveloped over there? I know you've built single-family homes. you built the, a shopping center with a 45,000-square-foot stop-and-shop. There's a hotel now, which and a number of other things that people don't realize that's available in the Rockaways. Yes, the Rockaways has certainly come a very, very long way since the Auburn by the Sea team got involved in Auburn. In fact, as, as you know, Gene, um, Michael, I keep on calling you Gene, I'm sorry, Michael, we started Auburn almost 20 or so years ago, and we started, we developed right now about 700 or so two-family homes. We developed a 45,000-square-foot YMCA with two pools, a beautiful indoor gym, and a beautiful outdoor sports court. We developed the stop-and-shop, the 55,000-square-feet stop-and-shop, which actually was a great, important part of the redevelopment of the Rockaway. Since prior to that, there was really no real supermarket on the peninsula. It really was the food desert. So that was a really important part of, of Auburn. We also then developed another about 50,000 square feet of retail space, which is now um, leased to a number of local retailers, some restaurateurs, and some local convenience uh, shops. We also are in the process of uh, building a new charter school that will service not only Auburn by the Sea residents, but also all of the residents of, of Queens. It's 35,000 square foot facility, and hopefully that will be open sometime in, in a year or so from now. So that's really a very important part of Auburn. And we're also now in the test marketing phase for a brand new 
condominium, which we call the, um, it, it's, it's uh, 247 or so units. It will be called the Aurora. It's a beautiful uh, site plan. Is um, it on the water? It's directly on the water. It's on Beachfront Road. Every unit will have its own balcony. Just about every unit will have a view of the water, the way this building has been designed. It will also have um, a little over 20,000 square feet of amenity space, indoor and outdoor. The outdoor will have a pool. It will have a pickleball court. It will have various other types of amenities. We're really very excited about getting through test marketing and a shovel in the ground, and hopefully we will be doing that uh, sometime this fall. Right now, with the situation with the interest rates and everything over there, how do you look at the condo market in general to go well, into a new project like that? Well, we think that Auburn is a very special place. It's the same water as the Hamptons. And unlike other developments along the waterfront in New York City, you can actually use the water in Auburn-by-the-Sea. In fact, one of the city's only surf beaches is directly in front of the Aurora. So we think that the location, as well as the list of amenities, it's only a 45-minute train ride to downtown Manhattan on the, uh, the A-train, which stops directly in front of Auburn. In fact, the stop is the Auburn-by-the-Sea A-train stop. It's also very convenient to the uh, wonderful ferry that the administration has, has continued, which is only a 50-minute or so beautiful ferry ride to downtown Manhattan. And there's a shuttle that runs directly in front of Auburn-by-the-Sea to the ferry. So we're, we're very, very confident that it will be a, a great success and will be a jewel of the Rockaways. Now, these are going to be market-rate condominiums and not affordable Correct. Correct. The Auburn by the Sea team actually um, completed its affordability requirements, which were part of the original development plan close to 15 or so years ago when we built 256 uh, for sale condominium affordable units. Let's talk about certain other projects that are taking place in, in, in the Rockaways in Auburn. I understand down on Beach 21st Street or Mutt Avenue, there are certain retail and residential developments taking place. Yeah, the Rockaways is really going, th continues to go through a, a a great redevelopment phase. Again, I think it was sort of a, the thrust behind this was Auburn by the Sea. But yes, down in Far Rockaway, there are a number of uh, development projects underway. There are a number of affordable jobs. There's the... Um, the Tishman Spire TS Communities project is rather large. 13-story, 100% affordable. Yes, yeah, that actually is a very large project. At the end of the day, I believe it will have at least 2,000 or so units. It's not on the water. It's sort of in the middle of the peninsula, um, but it will have 2,000 or so units. I think the first building is just about ready um, for a CO. I think that's about 200 or so units. And then there's the um, Auburn East development, which is further east of us, which I believe at the end of the day will have about 1,700 or so units. They've actually completed the beachfront preserve and also this very, very nice, beautiful um, nature center, which now is the, open to the public. The Tishman project is all affordable. Correct. That's my understanding. Correct. Right. For families earning between 30 to 80 percent of the area median income. Yes. And they're also doing some supportive housing. Yes, that's okay. correct. Jerry, I'd like to thank you to tell us on the update of what's happening in Auburn and the Rockways. And I'll see you next week. Thank you very much, Michael. Have a wonderful week. With us today is uh, former Congressman Peter King, and he is very upset about what the heck is going on in Israel, in Palestine, with, uh, with Hamas, 
Congressman King, tell us, uh, give us an update uh, uh, on your thoughts. Yeah, John, I have found this whole situation uh, when Hamas brutally attacked Israel, killing civilians for the sake of killing civilians, men, women, children, kidnapping people, taking hostages. This was all terrorism from beginning to end. Israel was a victim. Israel is obviously going to fight back, not out of revenge or even retaliation, but to remove Hamas is a threat to their people, to the Israeli people going forward. And all the talk after the first couple of days, everybody felt sorry for Israel in the first day or two. Since then, though, you see in the media, the concern is more about, is Israel going to go too far? How are the Palestinians going to be treated? What exactly is Israel's strategy? You know, this would be like if after... uh, World War II, after Pearl Harbor, the beginning of World War II, if they asked FDR, FDR, was he going to ask for a ceasefire? Ask FDR, was he going to overreact against Japan? Or asking uh, Churchill and FDR if they were going to overreact against Hitler? And then going street by street in Germany to see how many civilians might have been killed, or how many buildings may have been destroyed. And we saw early, also earlier in the week when... Uh, a hospital was blown up, which was a tragedy, and immediately the media ran with the story that it was probably Israel, and that was based on Hamas reporting. And then when the intelligence comes out, it's basically obvious that it was a uh, Hamas rocket. It was one of their own rockets, which is the hospital. So this is, to me, we have to get our moral straight here. There's no uh, moral equivalence between Israel and Hamas, just like there was none between the United States and Hitler, or the United States and uh, Hirohito in Japan. And we have to accept the fact that there, are, there is right and there is wrong, there is good and there is evil. And right now, there's no doubt in my mind, and there shouldn't be not any doubt in anyone's mind, that Israel is on the side of right, Hamas is on the side of evil. And there's more involved here than just Israel. I mean, this is the, you know, the Middle East we're talking about. We're talking about Hamas is just a tool and a weapon of Iran, as is Hezbollah is controlled by Iran. And this is an attempt by Iran to gain control of the Middle East, become more of a world power, and ultimately be a threat to the United States. This just is, and yet we have university presidents and students and uh, people out there demonstrating in behalf of the Palestinians, in behalf of Hamas, against Israel. I must say a bit of personal pride. I'm glad that Notre Dame and a, a number of other universities signed on with Yeshiva to basically say this is a, a very basic issue, that uh, Israel is right, Hamas is wrong, and all people of good conscience have to stand with Israel. But uh, there's so many other schools, John, we've seen it, whether it's Harvard or Congressman, Penn, we get down uh, yeah. the list. You know, and there's so much turmoil in that, but Congressman... Almost everybody realizes that the only people capable of giving them those weapons and giving them the money, and, and to me it looks like they, that uh, Iran hired a bunch of thugs, gave them guns, gave them, uh, gave them probably paid them each $5,000, $10,000 apiece for their families, and they said, go ahead, here, here's the guns, here's the money for your families, go in there and kill Israelis. And I don't know if there was 5,000 of them or 10,000 of them. And uh, one of the uh, challenges they have is they go and hide in, in, into uh, Gaza where there's 2 million Palestinians and who knows how many of them are, uh, are supporters and how many of them are just working people. How do, how John, do we I, get those I, five or 10,000 or 20,000 and, and kill the heck out of them? 
Yeah, and I I agree that Hamas is like an agent here or a front man, a front man or a gang hired by Iran. This is Iran is the driving force behind all of this. Hamas wouldn't exist if it weren't for Iran, and Hamas would not have risked this type of attack on Israel if it didn't believe that Iran was standing behind it. Just like with Hezbollah, which is up in the northern part in uh, Lebanon. So no, this is Iran, and it really it bothers me. That President Biden almost never mentions Iran's name. First of all, he said there's no conclusive proof that Iran is behind this. Meanwhile, it never stopped the Democrats from saying that uh, Donald Trump was an agent of Russia when there was no evidence. Here you have overwhelming evidence that Iran is behind this and the administration is, you know, is it seems totally reluctant to say that. I think it's because they made a big mistake early on. And the Biden administration, when they uh, decided to try to get close to Iran, get back into a nuclear deal with Iran, uh, restricting the uh, embargo on Iran, now allowing them to sell a lot more oil, bringing them billions of dollars. And then in, in addition to that, you have the, 600, the uh, $6 billion that they gave back to Iran. Congressman, the other day we spoke about it. Uh... Iran was never supposed to produce more than 400,000 barrels a day. Uh, the Trump administration had them under restrictions. And all of a sudden, you blink your eyes, and they're producing right now 3.4 million barrels a day. And they're making $2 billion a week in extra cash. And you know where that cash goes to? Terrorism. Terrorism, absolutely. Shouldn't the Biden administration have some responsibility towards that? I think they have a major responsibility for it. And when I said before the $6 billion went to Iran, now they're saying it's being held. The fact is they had they were able to use that. They, had, they were able to say they had the $6 billion coming in and improve this, their economic status. And that just showed the whole mindset of the Biden administration. Now, I think, John, they have tremendous responsibility, unfortunately, for even the attack because— Again, say what we want about Donald Trump. Nobody attacked Israel when Donald Trump was the president. Uh, Soleimani, he was killed by uh, Trump. Uh, Russia never attacked Ukraine. We go down the list. China never spoke about attacking Taiwan. And yet, as soon as Joe Biden came in and the way he pulled out of Afghanistan, uh, how he said mixed signals on so many different issues, and how, listen, he snubbed uh, Netanyahu last month during the U.N. general session in New York. That Yah was one of the only world leaders who was not invited to the White House of the top world leaders. President Biden refused to have Netanyahu come come to the White House, so he was putting up difference between uh, distance between himself and Netanyahu. He was getting closer and closer to Iran, and that's when I think Iran felt that it could take the risk of having Hamas attack Israel, and so it was brought on to me any type of weakness when you're dealing with a country like Iran. Friendship is weakness. Any attempt to have a reconciliation is weakness. And that's what they saw. They saw weakness here. And uh, Hamas took advantage of that, was encouraged by Iran. They went in. And right now, Hezbollah is also waiting. China was, I'm sure, watching this carefully when it comes to Iran, uh, Taiwan. And also, John, President Trump, through the Abraham Accords, and even before that with Bill Clinton, you had Jordan was now coming close to Israel. Even the Saudis were talking about coming close to Israel. You had various countries in the Arab uh, states signing agreements with Israel. And now, uh, when President uh, Biden went to meet with uh, uh, Netanyahu this week, the Egyptian president, the Jordanian president, the head of the uh, uh, Palestinian Authority, they all declined to meet. They canceled their meetings with President Biden. So 
uh, well, the Middle East is unraveling and going the wrong direction. Congressman Peter King, I think we have to wait and see and uh, see how things develop. And thank you for yep. coming on this Sunday morning, and we'll catch up again real soon. I'll see you tomorrow night, John. This is the Cash Roundtable. We'll be right back. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. Welcome back to the Catch Round Table. With us this morning is uh, Governor David Patterson. Uh, a lot of things going on in, the, in our country, our city, our state, the world, and he's got some uh, ideas. Uh, Governor? So, John, on Friday morning, I joined Rabbi Joe Potasnik and the realtor Keith Kantowitz and a number of uh, New as we held a press conference in front of the Second Avenue Deli, which is at 72nd Street and First Avenue, it has twice now been riddled with defacing from swastikas that were painted right on the store itself and symbols that were left across the street, which is absolutely outrageous. You know, it's interesting. The cleaning up the mess won't take long. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was killed. But the message it sends is similar to the message in Kristallnacht when the Jewish people were chased through the streets in uh, 1938, leading to a horrible incident. And the Jewish people were insulted and mistreated, and that led to the worst violence the world has ever known, the Holocaust. And so when you look at this, at this particular time, I just don't understand why people can be reacting this way to uh, people of a faith, uh, many of whom live in Israel and were attacked in the most unprovoked, barren kind of way, uh, uh, synonymous with type of violence that used to go on B.C. And it, it's just unnerving that uh, we have these types of problems. Obviously, this Hamas group is a terrorist group. Uh, I mean, I jokingly said the Iranian Foreign Legion, but I'm not sure it's really a joke. It's, a, it's for sure somebody gave them the weapons. Somebody gave them money to go out and do uh, their, their ill doings. And there were such crimes. There were such crimes that my mind went to, these are crimes that Hitler would have had. And it was just horrible. But how many Hamas are there? Are there 10,000? Are there 20,000? Are there 30,000? We really don't know. I nope. wonder how many. Nobody really knows, and they're spread out. So it's hard to uh, determine who is Hamas isn't when they are, in a sense, almost ye- um, using the Palestinian shields. Uh, and it's this period that, that we're living in now, I'm just shocked. It's the kind of reaction. I mean, I remember uh, back when I was a kid, there was a woman named Viola Liuzzo, and she was helping the Freedom Riders and Dr. King march, and she was murdered one night by Klan's people. And after that, the head of the Ku Klux Klan, Robert Shelton, made a statement, why wasn't she home minding the children? Because the woman lived in Indiana, and she believed in civil rights, and she went down there to help. And that kind of attitude 
which I thought to a, to a lot that we've gone very far in our country now. We don't have these types of things happening, but it's coming back logarithmetically. It's happening everywhere. I mean, there was a judge who was kicked off the bench in uh, upstate New York earlier this week because he pulled a gun on a black defendant. That's, the judges can carry guns, but they're only supposed to kill them when they think their life is in jeopardy. Well, the defendant had already been searched before they brought him in. But he goes ahead and does that. Somebody threw two people on the subway tracks again this week here in the city. And it's getting to the point where people don't even want to go out of their houses. I was out on Thursday on the Upper East Side, and they were just saying that everyone was staying home. They were afraid of being uh, attacked or hurt. People are scared to walk around in our city, uh, uh, Governor, uh, because... Uh, I, I walk around at night. You know, uh, our stores used to be open to midnight. Our stores, uh, a lot of stores open to midnight, but not anymore because people are scared to walk around. Yeah, that was, um, a, you know, a time when, uh, you know, maybe you're having guests or something, you run out of stuff, you could just run over to the deli before it closed, which might be midnight or 1 o'clock. That just doesn't occur anymore. It, it doesn't occur anymore, and uh, it's just very sad and I think that's the number one problem in our city. Uh, all of a sudden, we went to our city's problems uh, versus what's going on in Israel. And, and uh, there's many, many problems. There's also problems with our borders because these, these, some of these migrants that are coming in, nobody's checking them. And, of course, that's how some of the people got into Israel so that they could operate from the internally just a couple of weeks ago. In addition to that, John, the fact that so many younger people are involved in these protests and you just get the impression that they have not been educated to what's really going on, you know, education institutions. Now, there's freedom of speech. If people want to protest, they can. But what I'm saying is when you hear them talk, it's very clear how uninformed they are about what's been going on in the world for the last 50 or 60 years. Absolutely. And uh Governor, if you were president, where would you start with all these messes? Well, I, I, what I would say is uh, in the midst of this, President Biden, who we've been critical uh, of, of a lot, has said the right things and done the right things. His going there meant something. His uh, pronounced support for Israel, we've got your back. It, I think that's a, a very good place to start. Now we've got to get <laughs> our uh, – uh, our Congress to vote for as, uh, assistance that we would send to Israel. And don't forget Ukraine. I'm sure Putin is the happiest man on the planet since this attack in Israel, because it's diverted attention away from what he's trying to do to the Ukrainians. But it's um, I, I think it, it, we've got to put our resources where our statements are. And that will be a, a, a very good thing. What do you think is going to happen with the Congress? Any any ideas yet? Well, you know, since they have an interim temporary speaker, in my opinion, since 80 percent of the Congress members are going to vote for this aid, that they could just go in there and do it right now but with an interim person taking their place. I once substituted because we didn't have a lieutenant governor. I substituted even though I was governor and acted as the president of the Senate so we could pass some aid to localities back in 2009. I mean, it's one thing to be fighting over issues. Another thing, when you basically all agree 
but can't seem to find the mechanism to get into the chamber and vote for it. I think it's pathetic. And it was exposed by the issue, the horrible uh, attack in Israel, which demonstrated that in an emergency, apparently there are some sectors of our government that don't act quickly enough. What else would you like to cover? We got another minute or two to cover. Well, John, in the uh, last uh, seconds that we talk, I want to send uh, my prayers and sympathies to Governor Hochul, whose father was 87 years old but not sick, suddenly died um, back here in the United States. And she went to the Wailing Wall and wrote a beautiful note to him. And um, she works very hard. And she also, like the president, took the trip to Israel to demonstrate our support much the largest Jewish community outside of Israel is here in New York, and I thought it was a great gesture on her part, and I send my prayers to her family. All our sympathies to Governor Hochul. To lose a father, no matter what the age is, it's always very difficult. And 87 years old, not being sick, uh, is a young age these days, and may she have strength. Governor Patterson, yes, thank, I- you, uh, thank you for calling in this Sunday morning, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. Talk to you next week. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Bob Hoogan, and he is the GOP chairman of of New Jersey, and they have all their seats coming up in three weeks. Bob Hoogan, give us an update. Are you going to win or lose? Hey, John, we're looking good. We're looking good. I'll tell you a couple things that have happened to make us feel better. So in New Jersey, Republicans never should take anything for granted. Who knows what the Democrats are going to pull out of their hat. But a couple of things have been recently occurring. There are these mailers coming from Jamaica, New York, into districts outside of Philadelphia, New Jersey, and other parts of New Jersey, spreading disinformation and outsiders trying to interfere in our election and on the Democratic side. And all these high and mighty Democrats, whenever anything ever came from outside New Jersey from the other side, they would, like, cry and scream. And now they're, like, so silent that they're spreading this disinformation about candidates and stuff. So they're scared and nervous. And then the NJEA, the New Jersey Education Association, put out this ridiculous poll that they put out that said, oh, my God, how could parents want to know what's going on if their children want to change their gender a four-year-old kid, how, what does a four- or five-, six-year-old kid know what they're doing without the parents being involved with it? So th- we're seeing the Democrats run scared, getting people outside of New Jersey, helping them, putting money in the state. So it's going to be tough, but things are looking pretty good. We've got to kick butt these last few weeks. We've got a real chance to really send the nation a, and the people of New Jersey a move, moving New Jersey in the right direction. So you think you can get the majority uh, in both houses? That's definitely on the table. Let me tell you, not not easy. I, I can assure you, we're you know we've got to, we've got to win four Senate seats to tie it, and we've got to win basically four Assembly districts to to take charge of the Assembly. We're we're definitely picking up seats. Things are looking good. We picked up seats two years ago, so we're moving in the right direction. You know, we got a lot. Of, we got some. We got headwinds that we're being outspent. The Democrats are raising more money. They're getting all the lobbyists and all the people that live off the state government. And this, and this government spends money just as much as Biden spends money. You know, they spend so much money what, in New Jersey. What a lot is of the big issue, in your opinion? What is the big issue in New Jersey that the Democrats and Republicans are on two different sides? Two issues. The the one that is foremost in, in everybody's minds is the fact 
that Governor Murphy and all the Democrats believe they presuppose that every parent is abusive and they have they, they it is illegal for a teacher to tell a parent if a kid is having gender identity issues or wants to use a different name. It's illegal for them to share that with the parent because the state presupposes that every parent is abusive. As opposed to the state and the teachers having to prove that a teacher's uh, parent is abusive, they don't, it's illegal for them to share. So the whole, whole idea of parents' rights in education, what's being taught in sex education, the lack of uh, achievement and losing two years of school from uh, COVID, over, government overreach, no, no, no charter schools in New Jersey. Parents have just fed up with the state saying, you don't really care about my kids. You care about the teachers' union, not the teachers'. And that's the number one issue. The second issue is the Democrats are trying to industrialize the ocean, putting up all these windmills that are not ready for prime time. They're killing my whales. Another one today, we had another whale uh, pull up in in central New Jersey, a Mickey rail uh, whale, a 20-foot whale up dead. And it's ridiculous. They they say we don't no damage. They've got more work to do. It's not technologically ready. The energy master plan in New Jersey is a disgrace. It raises the ratepayers' costs. All the profits are, and all the money is going to overseas entities. And they haven't done the environmental sounding testing issues. And they're just rushing something that's not ready technologically, economically, or scientifically for prime time. And those two issues, John, are what people are concerned about this year. They're always concerned about unaffordability and crime. And we, gotta, we can't forget about those issues. But the rights of parents and education and the environment are the issues that are on the Republican side this year. And that's what's giving us the real tailwind here. We'll talk to you almost every week for updates. There's only three weeks left. And, uh, and good luck. And all I want is common sense. And all I want is save my whales. You're not kidding. We're all in the same boat. John, thanks so much for what you're doing. Look Thank forward you. to talking to you soon. Well, it's Sunday morning. And every Sunday morning, we're with Steve Cates otherwise known as Dr. Sky, gives us some interesting stories that makes our minds wander. And I'm either wandering at 3 o'clock in the morning watching Star Trek or, to, or listening to Steve Cates on Sunday morning. Steve, what's new in the uh, up in the skies? Well, John, we have a jam-packed edition today. Good morning to you and the listeners of the Cats Roundtable. Our journey today will take us to Mars, talking about Mars quakes, updates on some SpaceX launch numbers, and also the mystery of the week, and then what people can see. But what's interesting, we talk about Mars. Now, this is an unusual planet. It's only about 4,200 miles across. And we found out that about a year ago, Mars had an earthquake, what we call it, a Mars quake, of 4.7 on the Richter scale, as we measure here. But the problematic thing with that is, Mars doesn't have plate tectonics. The simple answer to that is, or what that is, the Earth has this crust movement that changes the position of continents. So how could this happen on the planet Mars? So astronomers, space scientists, they're all saying that it could be due to some large stresses in rocks inside the planet. But I don't know. Maybe that's just one explanation. But for many, that doesn't answer the entire situation there. Well, well, what say you on this? This is amazing. Well, you know, Mars has a lot of mysteries. And and someday we're going to find out what what goes on. And the biggest mysteries are still, me and you talked about it, the uh, two moons going around Mars, where they possibly be, can be artificial or some people say hollow, and maybe there's Martians up there. Who knows? You know what I, Mars has always been a mystery, and I look forward to finding out more someday. 
Absolutely, John. And those moons that we talk about are Deimos and Phobos. They were discovered in 1877, and eventually, one day, they'll crash into the planet. But that's a long way off. Well, we go to space now. Update on SpaceX. Here's something interesting from the financial side of SpaceX. According to many in the space industry, they're squeezing out smaller satellite launch firms to launch rockets and payloads up to low Earth orbit. But this is interesting. We find out right now that SpaceX is charging approximately $5,500 per kilogram. That's 2.2 pounds. So, like many people out there, just picking a weight, let's say you weighed 175 pounds, that would cost just to lift a human at that weight some $437,000. But the real important part about this is that they're developing an aggressive mid-inclination launch platform known as bandwagon. So they dominate the entire industry, and smaller space firms say that SpaceX could even get and even charge a lower amount or even, who knows, maybe a higher amount to launch into space per kilogram. But simply, it looks like they're putting out a lot of these other smaller companies. Wouldn't you say they have a monopoly? That's interesting. Absolutely. What else is going on up there this week? Well, generally, what mystery of the week is what we talk about. How about this? Let's talk about a star, a red dwarf, that's 40 light years away from us. It's called the TRAPPIST-1 star system. So astronomers tell us that there's seven rocky Earth-shaped planets around it, but three of the seven lie in an area we call the habitable zone. So of all the locations that we've searched the heavens for, this particular star system, albeit a red dwarf, may have, who knows, the possibility of some type of life on it. But the James Webb Telescope tells us interesting things, too. That little red dwarf star blasts off these giant solar flares into those particular planets. So again, getting our hopes up, we may be a little too soon on that. But isn't that fascinating that we've detected at least as planetary systems around the star system? And this one, who knows? This might even have the best hopes of finding life. Well, I look. For, I think me and you might find out about Mars way before 40 light years away, uh, uh, <laughs> Steve Tates. And because Mars has always been interesting. And, and uh, what was the other planet that uh, was interesting? Uh, well, Saturn has that, uh, that moon going around it uh, that uh, was always suspicious. Absolutely. We talk about these even closer in than 40 light years. So who knows? Life may abound as we find out the particles from the Bennu spacecraft. They're finding out that there's water molecules inside those rocks and carbon, the building blocks of life. But what we do, John, we always end off with the live sky so people can entertain and expand their minds and what we can see in the heavens. So as we could begin this whole new week, the moon continues to shine brighter in the sky in the evening. That's a beautiful sight. But turn your heads as we've been talking over the last few weeks to the eastern sky just after sunset. Bright white object is Jupiter. In the telescope, it's fascinating. Even binoculars, if you hold them steady, can show you some of the moons of Jupiter. It's about 370 million miles away. More information always by going to wabcradio.com and the Dr. Sky Experience. And what do we say, John, to open our minds? Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies and your radio tuned here. Thank you so much, Steve Cates, and we'll catch up with you again next Sunday. Have a great day, John. Thank you. With us today is Suzanne Miller. She is a dynamite real estate person in New York. Suzanne Miller, give us an update. What's going on in the markets of uh, New York? Okay, before I start, don't forget to talk about my podcast on WABC. What's going on in New York is really insane, uh, John. It's been a very down market. Transactions are down 25 to 30%. My goodness, it's like less than – transactions are now lower than they were in 2010. The interest rates have killed the sales market. 
unfortunately, the prices have not come down that much because there's just not a lot of inventory. But the transactions are down and there's not a lot of movement going on right now on the sales part. But that's not just New York. It's the entire region. Well, interest rates go up for the whole country. So when interest rates are up, the interest rates are up. And right now, the 30-year interest rates are like almost 8%. So uh, I, can, I can understand that uh, unless they're paying cash. And, and give us an update. The rental market, is it uh, stronger or softer? The rental market is down about 10%. But again, there's not a lot of products, so not a lot of people are moving. Landlords really can't lower the rents because everything's gone up. Insurance, things are just very tough. There's not a lot of building going on because we don't have any affordable housing. We need a 421A. So the rentals are, you know, for the good news for the landlords, they've not really gone down. But I, I predict that will, that will sway too. Anything the, uh, else you want to tell is, the American people? Well, yeah, New well, Yorkers. First of all, the office market. We need to talk about the office market, John, because that's a disaster. Unless you have a, a Class A building, the, it's, the B buildings, I don't know what we're going to do. These loans are coming due. And they're 50% vacant. The people are not coming to work. And we've got all these empty offices throughout the entire region. So it's a major problem. It's a major problem. Just keep building. I think people will try and come to the suburbs. You've got some nice buildings outside of New York. Hopefully that will continue. And I think that we have to just watch the world and keep New York safe. Suzanne Miller, thank you for calling in from the airport, taking the time. And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Travel safe. Thank you, John. Always. Thank you. Bye-bye. I put a spell on you. It's Halloween. We're only two weeks away. And with us today is Eric Schiffler, and uh, he's the president of uh, entertainment centers uh, down in Staten Island, where the fairy hawks play. Tell us what's going on for Halloween at the uh, enter- our entertainment center. John, there's so much going on. Remember, our entertainment center right next to the Staten Island Ferry looks out on Lower Manhattan. One of the best views to spend an afternoon or an evening anywhere in the country. We have a haunted house going on at the stadium. A haunted house at a baseball stadium running through the concourse. It's an hour of terror and frights. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 7 to 11 p.m. all weekend. Wow. And uh, <laughs> you also have a pumpkin patch or something? We have a pumpkin patch. You can come into the outfield. We have a huge pumpkin patch laid out. Bouncy castles. Bouncy slides. We have a vehicle that the kids can go on and ride around the stadium on the outfield terrace on the infield we've had hundreds of kids there every day looking out on that great view easy access easy parking right next to the stadium haunted house at night pumpkin patch and bouncy castle during the day open all weekend well that sounds pretty good and uh you got uh, more attractions coming up in november december we have a really exciting thing coming up in november november 4th we have our first ever beer festival at the stadium. So we have, it's a craft beer festival. We have over 20 breweries from all over Manhattan, Staten Island, Killsboro, and Flagship, all over the East Coast coming in. We have three live bands coming in as well. We're going to have a day of unlimited beer samples, great music, great view, great way to spend an afternoon, November 4th. No Santa Claus in December? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're trying to figure out, you know, to get come and get a picture at the ballpark with that lower Manhattan skyline and a picture of Santa Claus. We're working to figure out how to make it happen. So stay tuned on that one. It sounds pretty good. And, and this is Ferry Hawk Stadium. And tell us, uh, you can get there by the Staten Island Ferry. And it, it's on the other side of uh, the, the stadium. And you can walk right in. And, and the Staten Island Ferry is what's the price? Uh, it's free. The best type of price. It's That's Johnny. a good price. 
It is free. We have easy parking right next door. We have a great Staten Island University Hospital Community Park, home of the Ferry Hawks, best view, easy parking, ferry access, part of the ride. It's year-round entertainment. Thank you, Eric Schuffler, and uh, I look forward. I'm taking my daughter on. Uh, <laughs> to, to, uh, she wants to go to see the haunted house. Be ready. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us this morning is Melissa DeRosa. She was secretary to Governor Cuomo, which is the most powerful job in uh, New York State. She's got a new book, and it's going to be a super-duper book, and everybody's waiting to read it. The title of the book, What's Left Unsaid. My God, the stories that will be told. Melissa DeRosa, good morning. How are you today? I'm great, John. Thanks so much for having me. Are you ready for the grand opening book party and, and the breaking of, of the book that everybody's been waiting for? <laughs> I'm very excited. The book comes out on Tuesday. It'll be available in all Barnes & Nobles and local bookstores, and you can buy it on Amazon. But yeah, it's called What's Left Unsaid, and essentially it chronicles the last two years of the Cuomo administration. So it takes everybody through the behind the scenes, what was actually going on throughout the COVID pandemic when New York was ground zero, literally globally of the pandemic, and sort of brings you into room after room so that readers can understand how decisions were being made, what conversations were being had, what deliberations were going on, you know, the back and forth with Trump and Kushner, the back and forth with de Blasio. And so it really chronicled, I think, what was one of the most important moments for our city, our state, our country in the last hundred years. And then, of course, brings readers through into 2021 when the administration was engulfed in scandal and tells the truth sort of never-before-told story of what was happening behind the scenes through all of that and through to the end of the administration and then what we've learned since. So I think people will find it fascinating. I think that people who are looking to, to know the truth of what was going on will, will think there's tons of revelations in here, and I'm really excited to get it on bookshelves. During that period of time of COVID, Andrew Cuomo was having a two-hour press conference almost every day. And I remember you sitting right next to him. Yeah, for 111 days, John. I mean, it, it was, it's not an exaggeration to say that he was playing the role of, you know, de facto commander in chief during that period of time. You know, it wasn't just New York, the whole country's eyes were on him when we were sort of going through that really scary time. And there was a massive leadership gap. And he stepped into the void and I think, you know, played the role of commander in chief and was a comforting voice. And we provided facts as we knew them. And I think we created sort of a model for the rest of the country to follow on how to fight back against the COVID-19 pandemic. Did politicians in Washington, because there was rumors going around, and I'm sure this might be in the book. I'm not sure because I have not read it yet and I have not seen it yet. Did they get upset that Andrew... Cuomo was thinking of running for president. Well, you know, I talk about in the book, and it was actually leaked a couple of days ago, that in 2019, before COVID, Andrew Cuomo was contemplating potentially running for president. And he and I flew down to Virginia, and he met with Steve Reschetti and then Vice President Biden about that contemplation, and they talked him out of it. 
essentially saying, you know, you would cannibalize the middle. We would end up with someone like an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders. You're young. You can run again next time. And so, you know, he deferred to the then vice president and decided not to run in 2020. And then, boom, the pandemic hit. He was being recognized internationally as the de facto commander in chief. Many in the party said that they should replace Biden with Andrew Cuomo at that point on the ticket, thinking that he would have the greatest chance against Trump and that he was already sort of playing that leadership role nationally. Um, And so there was a lot of jealousy. There was a lot of jousting behind the scenes on all different sides. A lot of that informed how Trump was sort of posturing with us throughout. So I get into all of that in the book, and I think people will find it fascinating. Is there a possibility that the bullet, I guess you have to read the book to find out, the bullet came from Washington? Well, the bullet came from Tish James when she issued that report. But the minute that the president of the United States said... But I'm sure somebody gave her permission to do it. (laughs) Well, I don't know whether or not she, she sought anyone's permission, but certainly the minute that Joe Biden, who was then the president of the United States, said he had to resign, it certainly caused this tsunami effect where once the president of the United States says it, everybody jumps on board. And, you know, it was deeply disappointing. And I thought really out of character for somebody like Joe Biden, for him to go out and say, I haven't read the report. I don't know the details, but he needs to resign. And, you know, this was a man who Joe Biden himself has been accused of sexual assault and sexual harassment. And he, you know, for him to be so glib about the consequences of that call for resignation, what it meant in terms of essentially overturning a duly elected government, I thought was just totally out of step with who Joe Biden is. And so, yeah, I get into all of that in the book and, you know, how everything sort of came to a head at that very end in August of 2021. And I can tell you what's been reported out there on much of both the COVID crisis and the Me Too allegations against the governor has not been factual and has not been told from a firsthand account. Much of it has been reported based on sources who had their own motivations, based on press who had their own sort of politics. And so this will be the first time there's, you know, a firsthand account of what was going on throughout the entire ordeal. And I think for New Yorkers in particular, given the consequences of what happened, and I mean, look around now, there's such a lack of leadership on so many levels. The consequences of that report of the governor's force resignation and what's followed, um, it should matter to people. And I know a lot of people would rather just move on. The press in particular doesn't want to revisit any of this. But, you know, a government returned and there was a lot of corruption and there's a lot of things that were said in the press that weren't true. And so I think that people will find it eye-opening, the level of detail and the facts and the information. And so I urge people to go out and pick it up on Tuesday. We've got a minute left. What other teasers do you have for us? Well, I, uh, I get into, you know, an issue with a New York Times reporter and I, the New York Times reporter who was who was the head reporter covering the Me Too, you know, allegations against the governor, actually had his own inappropriate engagement with me. The Times knew about it at the highest levels. They did absolutely nothing about it. I mean, I just think it totally underscores the hypocrisy of the New York Times, which sort of dictates to the world how they believe we should live when they themselves don't follow their own, you know, purported rules. Um, I get into a lot of the behind the scenes jockeying with Tish James around the report. 
bring people into the room with Jared Kushner and Donald Trump for meetings in Washington in the Oval Office at the height of the pandemic and, you know, when certain decisions were made and cut and what projects were being dangled over us in order to keep us quiet and not be critical of Trump. And so there's there's a lot in there. It's, it's really choose your own adventure. I think people will find it. And, it. and it's also deeply personal. I talk a lot about my marriage falling apart. I talk a lot about my mental health issues during that period. I talk a lot about my infertility problems that I was facing while all this was going on. And so I think people will find it incredibly eye-opening. I think that they will find that the truth is strangers in fiction. And I hope they pick it up on Tuesday. And I will come back after it's out. And you've had a chance to look at it, John, and we can get into some of the details. Well, I look forward. Melissa DeRosa, once the most powerful woman in Albany, you could not see the governor unless you went through Melissa. I look forward to reading your book, and I am sure it's going to be a lot of hot stories in it, and uh, we'll catch up right after that. Thanks so much, John. Great to be on. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno.